1: Welcome to the Library Science Channel on the New Books Network. My name is Jen Hoyer, and today I'm joined by Svetlana Kochkina, author of Francis Burney's Evelina, the book, its history, and its paratext, published by Palgrave Macmillan in 2023. Evelina, the first novel by Francis Burney, published in 1778, enjoys lasting popularity among the reading public. Tracing its publication history through 174 editions, adaptations, and reprints, many of them newly discovered and identified, this book demonstrates how the novel's material embodiment in the form of the printed book has been reshaped by its publishers, recasting its content for new generations of readers. This book also focuses on the remodeling and transformation of the paratext in this novel, written by a woman author, by the heavily male-dominated publishing industry. Svetlana Kochkina is lecturer at McGill University School of Information Studies and the Head of Access and Lending Services at McGill University Library. She does extensive research and publishes on the history of the book, evolution of the form and paratextual elements of the book, and Francis Burney's social networks. Svetlana, welcome to New Books Network. Thank you. Uh, so before we get started talking about your new book, could you share a little with listeners about your background, where you grew up and went to school, and what brought you to your work in libraries and in book history?
0: Well, I grew up in, in Tallinn, in Estonia, and my first school was State University of Saint Petersburg. So I did my what, what is equivalent in Canada or in the States, my BA and MA, and then I was teaching French as second language and working as a translator and interpreter. But then we moved to Canada. Well, I was working also in private sector, so in, in a corporate environment for four years. And then we moved to Canada. So when I took it as a chance to actually go back to the environment where, where, that I enjoy, education and academia. And I and I always loved books. It's, it's a cliche to say, like people people say, like well, when you interview for library jobs, don't say it's because you loved books. But yeah, yes, that's true. It's because you, I loved books. And, uh, well, Library Information Science School felt like a natural choice for me. And uh, my, basically, my dream going into library school was to work with rare books, with special collections. It didn't happen as my career uh, trajectory, but I came to that dream through the medium of uh book history research because after my masters I also, I I did the phd in book history and I was I ended up working with those uh cool books that I wanted to work with as a researcher instead of as a curator so that was uh, this research in book history was basically a continuation of that dream that brought me into the library world
1: yeah and i really like that because um i know I, I also had that interest in, in library school and so did so many of my classmates and the number of jobs in rare books is so limited. And I think you've shown such a great way of continuing to explore that interest, even if your like actual technical functional job isn't um, in that area, you've been able to pursue it so much still. Um, so turning to this recent book, Francis Bernie's Evelina, Could you start by situating us a little more clearly in your research? Maybe if you could describe Evelina as a publication, introduce us to the author and and the circumstances of its publication, and then describe its early publication history. Um, And I'd love if you could add a little bit about what your research on Evelina has shown you about the, the role of female authors like Frances Burney and the role of publishers at this time in
0: determining how a book like this appeared and circulated. Thank you. That, that, that's, that's quite interesting story. Frances Burney, and uh, well, I will insist on this, on the name Frances Burney. There was a quite a big discussion on her name in scholarly literature and feminist studies, especially in the 80s and 90s, because at some point she was called Funny Burney. Well, that's not appropriate. We don't call Richard Sheridan Dick Sheridan. Uh, so we we don't. <laughs> So, so she's Frances. Frances Burney, uh, funny was her home nickname, and that's, that's for, for the members of her household and not for us. She, uh, she was what we could consider the most successful female novelist of the 18th, late 18th century. She was also a playwright. She was not quite successful with her plays, but uh, they are of interest to scholars now, uh, nowadays and she was an exceptional diarist she left 25 published volumes of her diaries but they were published by oxford university press and they are just unprecedented source of information on 18th century intellectual circles 18th century and early 19th century history also in the court life because she was the keeper of the robes of Queen Charlotte for five years when King George III went mad so there's a lot of that uh, uh, in those, those diaries they're quite that's quite a gripping read uh, and uh, but she was socially from very modest background her father was Charles Burney and he he started as a music teacher uh, and through his talent and social skills he rose to position to quite <clears throat> a prominent place in London uh, literary and artistic society he became doctor of music he was publishing and uh, in her in the house she saw all those uh, famous and educated and bright and brilliant people, Uh, but Frances gained her own entrance into the literary and fashionable society, more more literary than fashionable, through her uh, novels. And Evelina was the first of her novels, and it's still the most successful of her novels. Uh, What is interesting about Evelina is that, uh, well, before Evelina, novel was really, really, really Considered quite a disreputable literary genre, it was not appropriate for a woman to read to write novels, <laughs> and and quite a few of those novels, they if they forgotten, it's it's not something that we, the society as whole has lost. So between Pamela and Evelina, there was that period in the novel publishing history uh, that. Novels were just mass produced and they were all cliche. So they were, it's almost as you have those, <laughs> well, Harlequin novels. Uh, uh, so to go into this series, you need to publish. So the main character, uh, the protagonist, might be must be this, and then they must meet. I don't know, a nobleman and, and something like that. So that was that period where those cliched novels and quite explicit ones sometimes were produced. Uh, so for Frances to to uh, Frances Bruni to write that novel, uh, she did not want. Uh, she she wanted to write. She wanted to to publish uh, but also she had to be mindful of her social reputation because she was not the Duchess of Devonshire who could just like do whatever she felt and she would not lose her place in the society it was a precarious uh, social situation uh, they were newcomers into the uh, London society and uh the family was extremely talented but she could not afford to uh do something scandalous and not that she wanted to so she published the novel anonymously and it was quite an interesting story because her brother brought it to the publisher in the dead of the night he was wearing some kind of heavy cloak and had to dis- uh, disguise himself and she actually copied the because she was also helping her father as literary secretary uh, she copied the whole novel by hand in, in a faint handwriting so that her handwriting would not be recognized by the publisher. And actually, the publisher didn't know her name until the novel was published, and she lost the chance to go with the more prestigious publishing houses uh, because they wanted to know her name, and she was absolutely adamant on keeping it... Anonymous. Well, it was exposed eventually, but the novel was met with such approbation from like Doctor Jones, uh, Johnson, Hester Trail, uh, other members of the, the literary society. So it was praised. For, the novel was met with quite a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, in the first two years, uh, the copyright holder, the publisher Thomas Laudens, produced four editions. So it just that's like, each is. I would say 500 copies, so that that's a lot. Hmm. And the novel was praised for for the vivid description of uh, London, the for the for the uh, for its humor, for the uh, for how true it was to, li- uh, to, to life, but also you know, for Francis from woman who was quite as i said from modest social background and more uh, novel actually is credited to make the whole genre become respectable to write and to read so it did uh it did help her to establish her name and her position in the society and then she had more successes with her uh second and third novel cecilia and, and camilla Going into uh, and what is about uh, well, no, novel itself. So, well, it's 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 interesting. It's it's interesting to read it now. It's a story of. Uh, a young uh, lady who, who is an acknowledged uh, natural daughter of a no- nobleman, and she is raised in seclusion of the country. Or, of the country, and she makes her first steps and, and her faux pas in the society, but it all it all ends well. She ends up happily married to a virtuous lord, and she is acknowledged by her father, who understood all 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 the mistakes in her, that he made in his life, mm. and. This novel is actually a sequel to her first novel that she burned at the age of 15. Her stepmother, was quite overbearing. She insisted that well, it was not an occupation for a young woman. She should better use her time in knitting and needlework, and that's fine. But <laughs> to do that, but she wanted to write. And at the age of fifteen, she she burned all her early diaries and her first novel. But then she started writing again. <laughs> so she, she just wow. could not yeah. resist it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And going to your question about the role of the publisher. And the author uh, and female author, well, first of all, uh, the publisher-author relationship in the 18th century for male and female, Richardson would be quite in a different uh, category. Well, he was his own publisher and printer, so uh, he was just in relationship with himself. 18th century, early 19th century, uh, authors, they would sell the copyright outright. So that was just sold. She got 20 Guineas, for that uh, and anything any uh, anything else that the publisher uh, got from the novel, from republishing it uh, for quite a lot, uh, the publishing house of the is, uh like Father and the Son, they got out 15 editions and reprints and the others too, but she got her 20 guineas and that was it. And, that that was mostly the 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 story of uh, how the publishing business works at the time. You sell the copyright, and the copyright is basically it's the right to produce copies. This is that that's what it is, and uh, it's registered in a stationery's company uh, archives, and then the publisher has it for fourteen years, can extend for another fourteen years, and they draw they uh, they get all the profits. So Bernie got something out of this novel but it was mostly her position in society and actually her job that where she was quite unfortunate uh, quite unhappy in uh, uh, at the court uh that was difficult job to have in difficult times to be at the court but again at the end of that job when she resigned uh, due to health reasons after five years uh she got a pension from the queen and that Modest pension allowed her to basically marry the man whom she wanted to marry because that was an independent source of income. But the only time she actually made she actually made money, significant amount of money, that was her third novel, Camilla, that she published by subscription. And that was the model to make money. But to publish something that people should subscribe to, you need to be already famous and known. That's not your first book that you publish. And in a subscription list for Camilla, we find that uh, quite quite a familiar name Jane Austen is there she she's she she's the one so it's uh, it, and the subscription list for Camilla it reads basically like who is who in London Society of the time that's so amazing yeah. this is this is in short uh, about uh, the the publication history and why it how the publisher author relationship worked because we often extrapolate what we know about the publishers and authors and how their relationship worked now and it's 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 completely different in 18th century
1: yeah i agree i'm thank you for all that context because i think it is so important to understand how different things were then um and yeah how different it was to just try to make money as an author um
0: and if I could add something because yeah, yeah. you asked you asked about women authors. Uh, interestingly, well, it, that would was for everyone, but also novel, uh, despite all the prejudices and discrimination of the past, and well, not exactly of the past, uh, women authors were would sell well. Uh, Margaret Easel in her research, she, she showed that and like it was profitable. If it's if it's a novel by a lady, that novel would sell well. So but it was profitable to the publisher, not to the author. <laughs> and it actually that because women, they they were assumed to possess some kind of inner knowledge of the sentimental matters, of the things of equipage, fashions, and things, and that was valued. And and that continued into Victorian times when we had those two spheres of male uh, sphere of life and w- women and we, uh, female and women were. Uh, uh, Deemed naturally more capable for certain literary genres, such as, such as, uh, let's say, em- uh, because of their empathy, so lyrical poetry and novels, uh, and uh, let's say interactions of Elizabeth Gaskell with uh, her publishers show that they, when she was thinking about how she would publish her Mary Barton novel, uh, they 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 suggested that. It should be published under a woman's name because it would sell better.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah. This is
0: just so interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, then publishers were clearly doing well if they got a female author. Yes. Um, But as you point out, the publisher, yeah.
0: When it was by the lady, not necessarily would be by a lady. (laughs) Mm. So it, it was a really good way to get people to buy the book because they would, she would presumably know what she was writing about. And novels were often, often assumed to be books of courtship, sentiment, romance, and so yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Huh. Um, well, another thing that your research is really, really detailed on is tracking how the book's title, the author's name, and prefatory material were altered over time by different publishers. Could you describe some of those changes for us and explain what they tell us about the life of the book? And what you believe motivated publishers to make these alterations from the original
0: text? So, what is it, interesting about, and again, this is my uh, why I started this research, because uh, often especially literary scholars, they concentrate on the first edition. There is all this, at some point, there was a bit of an obs- obsession of establishing the most authoritative text, the most authoritative edition. But the life of a written text doesn't end with the publication of the first edition. At, at that moment, the life just begins. And the for such texts as Bernie's uh, novels that were steadily rep- being republished and reappeared in print the year, years after years, and for Evelina, centuries after centuries, uh, that book becomes increasingly complex and multi-layered for for this kind of for this text. And throughout these times, the form of the book w- would shift and morph, and the, every new generation of readers would interact with the text in this metamorphosed form. And this is what exactly that was in, uh, that was interesting uh, was was interesting to me in the life of the novel because the text itself, except for let's say translations, that's just a topic apart, the 18th and early 19th century translations were, translations were translators were taking quite a lot of liberties with the text, cutting it and altering, but publishers didn't do anything with the text of the novel per se. And Bernie made some changes between first and second editions, and there were some typos corrected in the third edition, but the text stayed as is. However, how the text was packaged That was changed. in the title, the name of the author, uh, the prefaces, prefaces by Bernie, uh, the illustrative matter, that was changed a lot. And let's say, let's take the book's title. We always think about the book's title as something unmutable. Uh, No, that's not so. So the first title was uh, Evelina or a Young Lady's Entrance into the World. But then and that is the title that we can uh, assume that was the title that was com- conceived and composed by Bernie herself. but the second edition, she didn't have any influence of how would be published, so the publisher appended any series of letters to the title, and that would indicate the novelistic genre of the book. At least he didn't put the Word novel on the title page, the genre that Aristotle never heard about, so that would be quite uh, un- probably not so well seen by Bernie. That's the second edition, and but the third edition, it went even further. It's, uh, the publisher changed it into uh, a instead of the young ladies' novels, it's uh, young ladies' entrance uh, entrance into the world. Uh, it's the history of entrance. So the third edition would be uh, the history of entrance into uh, of the young ladies in entrance in the, into the world, and then that was the title uh, that persisted and was repeated in most of the uh, editions and, and the even modern editions. And why history? Because uh, well, again, uh, novelistic genre lost its. Uh, not so uh, acceptable uh, change uh, only in the late 19th century or second half of the 19th century. So often the life of, the history of, letters of, that was indirect way to uh, to actually signal, hello, you're looking at the novel. This is exciting. Read it. And then another uh, uh, change happened. Uh, So instead of being a, history of the entrance it became history of introduction of a young lady into the world so and that change happened in victorian time when the history of introduction with with evelina being a passive you know, subject of somebody's in, somebody introducing her into the world by chaperon uh, instead of leaping into the world by herself as she did so she lost her agency and uh the, like a narrative about the, uh, the title that is narrative about the action the entrance it was transformed into the passive narrative of the, of the introduction hmm. and it's quite so it, uh, Evelina became a Victorian debutante uh, in this sense in that title and it's quite symbolic that it was it started in the early 19th century and the last now, for a time we see the form of the title is 1882 and 1882 that was the year when the married uh, women property act was uh, uh, came into force where uh, married women recognize, were recognized as legal uh, having legal identity separate from their husband uh, so, but throughout victorian times it was the uh, that i uh, that title that underlined the passive uh, role of this, or hinted on the passive or submissive role of the woman, uh, that was the most prevalent. And then the fourth iteration, the title contracted into just Evelina. No history. And that happened um, twice. Let's say, not, not twice in total, but t- twice in the whole time. So there was a period when it was published just as Evelina uh her uh, Bernie's initial white popularity in, in the 18th century and then when it became again, when Bernie's reputation as novelist was reestablished in the late 20s, early 21st century, and that usually happens to the title of the book that, of the books that are so well known that they don't need a subtitle, so that's when they, they can afford to lose it. Uh, that's
1: so we, fascinating. Yeah, we see these, like, social changes. We see changes in the literary world and, like, understandings of literary canon. Yeah, that's so fascinating.
0: Yes, it's it's, it's quite interesting. And the same happened to, uh, not the same, but similar changes happened to the form of the name, uh, dropping or adding prefaces. And there's an illustrations. that's a separate topic. This is so fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really... Um, enjoyed your description of the changes in illustrations in the book. And I think one fantastic reason for folks to get their hands on the actual book is because you were able to reproduce a lot of those illustrations. Um, And it was so helpful for me as a reader to see them.
0: Um, Thank you.
1: Yeah, were there any um, highlights that stood out to you of of how those illustrations changed over time?
0: Oh, thank you so much for asking that, Uh, yes. There is something, and I did quite extensive literature searches, and to my knowledge, has never been actually looked at in any systematic way before. It's how the fashion changed in illustrations. Fashion history is one of my research interests and general interests. And we see that after the first illustrated edition, the fashion is, of the time of the publication of of that of any subsequent illustrated edition, and not of the time of the pub, uh, that of the action in the book. So, because action in the book, what do we see? It's high hairdos, pannier skirts. So the, but then, just before the French Revolution, and after, the fashion dramatically changed, and late 18th century, early 19th century, Evelinas. It's totally different. You get those chemise dresses that we associate with Austen novels, and shawls and uh, coiffure à la tête, with, and then the Regency dresses with uh, and you know with show ankles and and you ha- they have those hem like uh, lavishly embroidered or flounced uh, hems and triangular skirts and all kind of feathers in the hair. And then 1870s, the bustle is there. So it's and that. So she's wearing the walking dress that that was exactly the height of fashion. And only in the beginning of 20th century illustrations, the uh, fashions become again. In in some books, not all of them, they they began uh, become again uh, reflecting the time of action of the book actually seven seventy uh, seventy eight so, and and the time before and that is something that I really enjoyed looking into and I hope I will continue uh, that line of research in in other books as well because it it's something that somehow we see it but we don't notice
1: absolutely yeah that's such a fascinating line of inquiry to open up because it um Yeah, it it makes us ask questions about why at different times we've wanted to, I guess, like see ourselves and see our own present time in the printed pages of a book. And at other times we want to see, as you said, like the moment of action from when the book came out. Um, Oh, that's really interesting. Um, So as the book circulated and was reprinted in the 19th century, What are some of the other ways that changing social and economic conditions resulted in changes to editions of Evelina? Why was it being republished in different locations? And for who? How was this audience changing? And um, how did the variations between editions cater to those different audiences?
0: 19th century was a very interesting time in in book history because that's when... what. it's called new readers or new literates be, uh, appeared in, as, as a force on the, uh, in the literary landscape on book market. Uh, books as a commodity, they became more affordable and there were more people capable of reading them and affording them. So, so what came out of it, there was a stratification of the readership and certification of the books produced for different niches and different social classes of readership. Mm-hmm. And this is well basically how do you sell the same novel over and over during 240 years of its existence? you cater, you cater your addition to your particular niche. So uh, and also you adapt again that those going back to illustrations, that was the way to adapt uh, the book to seem closer to the reader's reality and also to present it as a certain type of book uh, and let's say if we talk about books uh, printed for the new new literate, for new readers, uh, people coming from other social backgrounds, we do see those affordable reprints no illustrations, cheap paper, minimal paratext all prefaces cut basically you get the text of the novel and no frills. On the other hand, on the other uh, end of the spectrum, we get the editions that were clearly targeting female market. They And they were also, so you you get those uh, illustrations. There's Miss Bernie on the title page indicating, and she was not Miss by the time. She was either Countess Darblay, she was Mrs. Darblay or Madame Darblay. but That's uh, again highlighting feminine uh, authorship. And they're small, these books are small. They can be quite easily concealed in a pocket or in reticule if you want, because you don't want to be sometimes caught reading a novel, even though it is totally appropriate for anybody (laughs) to read. (laughs) Uh, uh, But then you have the Regency Time editions, they are quite fascinating. And uh they are modeled, explicitly modeled in, in, in those presentations after what's what was called rambling texts on Lon- London Life. They didn't do anything with the text, it just changing the title. Uh Female Life in London, its attractions, it's it's quite a lengthy title. Uh and rambling texts on London life, they were Quite explicit types of books, because they were uh, they were in vogue in the time and the social atmosphere of the time of Regency was there was quite a lot of extravagance and debauchery and drinking and gambling, and so the publisher that was specialized in this type of edition took Evelina's text, didn't do anything with the text, added illustrations that made it look very very light and way more. Mm, uh, also highlighted episodes of violence in the novel uh, that because if out of six illustrations three highlight episodes of uh, violence you might think that half of the novel is is a no it's just these were the only ones (laughs) in that text but this is how it would just okay this is another region so we have the male counterpart uh, and our female so what What was uh, happening at the fashionable scene in London at the time, and then let's say end of the 19th century, fin de siècle, the printing revival time, and private presses. Unfortunately, Evelina was never published by any private presses, William Morris, uh, for example. But but they influenced so much even commercial book publishing that uh, you see those. uh, End of the nineteenth century, beautiful editions. uh, uh, Begin of twentieth as well. Uh, Macmillan, Dent, uh, well illustrated, uh, well bound. Even though some uh, they mechanically produced but uh, some of the dent editions they are produced on handmade paper so uh, there's this uh, catering to different strata of readership with different pockets and different interests that you can find uh, you find in the form of the book of, um, throughout the 19th and also tw- 20th century I hope I answered the question so I'm sorry if I went into some tangentials
1: <laughs> no no that's, that's super interesting I mean I think um it shows a lot of savvy on the part of publishers that they are starting to figure out different audiences and how to cater to those, how to make it affordable, how to make it appealing. Um, but yeah, then it, it also is interesting how they have these liberties that they can take with title and things like that to really position it for different audiences. Yes. It's It seems it, wild to us now, but... Oh, no, it's not wild. It, it, it's no. it's, 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 it's
0: the same now, was, but a bit more subtle. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's true. We're a little more subtle
0: now. <laughs> We're a bit more subtle, but still, you know, <laughs> you, you, when you see a book, you clearly see how they want to present it. And that's fine. Books are published to be sold. And this is something that I wanted to emphasize in the book. It's books are published to be sold. You don't write a book to, for it to be sold. You may not, not want even to have it published, but you they publish it. To be, it's a commercial enterprise. Uh, besides artist books and all these things they they are dev- uh, well these are tactics so to make the books sell and you know well i i'm well i'm not above that myself because let's say i ask to reproduce as the cover, this is the reproduction of the cover from 1903, really beautiful edition. So on the cover of my book, because I wanted to look attractive to, to the Yeah, readers.
1: absolutely. Yeah, we all want we all want to make books <laughs> that look good and that other people want to read. Yes. Um. Yeah. So then, Evelina enters the literary canon, and this was really interesting for me to think about in reading your research. Um. Because I've never thought about what clearly makes a novel part of the canon. I think we have assumptions about that. But what are some of the signifiers that you identified as markers of this book's canonization and, and the things that publishers do to make it a classic, quote unquote,
0: yeah and it's an interesting it's also self-feeding cycle because you know well if you if you make a book that looks like a classic it will become a classic but also you why would you publish a book like uh, like uh, that looks like a classic because obviously there were some research or some interest or there is some recognition of the author Uh, but yeah there are clear signifiers they are visual signs and they are are, again uh, they might be you can yeah you can see them as subtle but they're right in your face, the, those, because, uh, well, the first one is to be published in a series that has classics in the name, world classics, uh, classics of English literature, yeah. any of the sort. So those series names, they signal clearly, uh, like Penguin Classics, uh, Bedford Cultural Editions, Northern Critical Editions, Broadway, uh, Broadview Literary Texts. To be admitted into those series, you need to be a classic or once you're admitted, you become a classic <laughs> <laughs> as a book. So that, that's a serious uh, statement. And now well, since the late 19th century, most books, they're published in series and those series, they, they, these are clear indications of the status and of the intended readership of the novel. But then what else would indicate this book as a classic? It's uh, well, often we see almost that's almost ritual. Uh, the mention of the copy text, which uh, edition was used for that uh, for the edition of of this particular book is the first edition. Was it's based on the second edition? That is quite ritualistic. But you see the uh, that heightened degree of attention to the integrity of the text and. Sh- demonstrating so often you find note on the text in in those uh scholarly editions so they they show that they treat author's text how it shouldn't be treated and was uh reproduced in integrity and then the paratext the wrapping of the book you know sometimes so you find prefaces introductions footnotes endnotes notes reproductions of reviews appendices post faces uh, uh, pieces of, uh, of 18th century conduct books reproduced, book reviews, bibliographies, chronologies, all this package and all this context of uh, that uh, the publisher surrounds the text with. It is useful for the students of literature. It is useful, for, but all uh, because it, it helps, especially uh, it's uh, these, these things they started appearing these types of paratexts and proliferating in the 20th century when education became more democratic. So, and students from various backgrounds, they needed more uh, const- uh, con- context for understanding early texts, uh, and the cost of paper uh, and printing uh, became lower. So it enabled publishing history to add those um, contextual paratexts. Sometimes in some editions of Eveline, it's 200 pages. So all the contextual materials, uh, they're helpful and they serve a purpose, but they also a strong signifier. This is the scholarly edition. This, we're serious here. This is the book for uh, that was taken care of, and we published it as it should be published. And they demonstrate the value and the scholarly merit, not not of the text, but of this particular edition. What else uh, we can see as a signifier? The iconic paradox, the illustrations, the illustrations in the in the books and on covers. In scholarly editions, the illustrations they are also contextual. They are not illustrations to the text of the novel. Often that would be some kind of well. At the best, they would be maps or uh, engravings of the places where the action takes place. Uh, but often these are just sometimes they are people who are absolutely not related to the novel, to the author, just just because they again they contextualize the text of the novel. They don't illustrate. This is for inside illustration. But the outs the illustrations on the outside, on the cover, when I when I say it, you will totally recognize it. It is always a reproduction of a painting, 18th, 19th century classical painting. And that and the, the painting would be either marginally related to the novel or not related to the to the novel itself, but it just screams, "This is a classic. This is something." So you uh, you get that on and if, if you go know, if you go to the bookstore or li- uh, to any library shelf and you look at any world classic series, all the Gainsbury paintings <laughs> on the covers. So that's another signifier that we find.
1: That's such a great point. Yeah, these like very, very visual and physical signifiers um, about how we should perceive the text itself as,
0: as classic. Yeah. Yes, and also this particular edition. So why would you, I need something, this is edition that you would buy for this for school.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, why you should maybe buy this scholarly edition, even though you have a different one already. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, another thing that really stands out about your book is that all of this research you're done has resulted in pretty major updates to existing bibliographic research on Evelina, and you've included, you've shared that uh, in your book. Why do you think it's really important to? Ing- in this kind of detailed bibliography and what can exhaustive bibliographic data tell us about a publication, and why would you encourage other scholarship scholars to dive into this kind of detailed work?
0: I refer to that I talked about that a bit before uh, what i'm I'm interested in the books as they were read, not books as they were written, books as they were encountered by readers throughout the uh, time so. But also what I try to uh, do in this book is to, to fill a gap that exists because there is all, always that concentration and attention to the publication of the first edition. Uh, but then the subsequent lives of, of, the, of most books, they just, they, they, they just remain in obscurity. Uh, but I find it's important to uncover them and for various reasons. As I said, yes, books are published to be sold. Uh, but if so, if such novel as Evelina was continuously published throughout almost quarter of a millennium, there was at least one English edition every ten years. Uh, that means that the publisher had uh, hope to uh, had a hope to find a suitable market, a market niche for it, and it shows that the text was still. I cannot say widely read, but it was published and sold, so it was still marketable uh, to the later time readers. And um, it uh, having that full bibliography allows us, us uh, well, allows I hope it will allow 18th century scholars to understand and get the m- uh, more accurate picture of the novel spread and popularity. And. Uh, uh, and availability among different classes and strata of reading publics, uh, why also bibliography. Because also what I try to um, show in the book is that um, for the book to be republished and again sold, uh, the physical book that is on the shelves of the bookstore needs to be published in the form that was would captivate the imagination and catch the eye and in the interest of those later time readers so that I wanted to actually record that, how it was changing and in which form readers were encountering, encountering Evelina in all those later times and because also forms they produce meaning and then they would influence the perception of the book And what I wanted to also to show again, as I said, the life doesn't end up with the publication of the first edition and that all those waves of editions and reprints of Evelina, they were joining their predecessors and they were coexisting. With new novels, uh, with the new novels and romantic novels, uh, realistic novels, naturalistic novels, modern novels, postmodern novels. Uh, and they were part of literary landscape for all that time. So it's not just because we say Evelina is a uh, late 18th century novel. Yes, that was when it was produced, but it existed in the literary landscape, in the reading world, throughout all this time because of those new editions and reprints. And I hope that the realization of this fact, and just the sheer numbers of Evelina that were printed and entered the world since the publication of its first edition, uh, would lead to better understanding of the um, novels and Bernie's uh, own ongoing influence and standing and significance in the literary world and, and in the literary past.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think this like really thorough bibliographic work you've done tells us not just a lot about the book, but so much about the world and how it has changed. Um, Really, as you said, for the last quarter of a millennia, (laughs) which is is wild to think about a book, like witnessing that whole span of history. Um, But I guess it's not alone. So many have. um, And yeah, there's um, lots of great similar research to be done. Um, I've taken a lot of your time, but before we wrap up, I would love to hear about what you're working on next. I know you've mentioned a few um, ideas you have for other research. So I'd love if you could share what some next re- research projects are that you're hoping to work on and maybe any of those that grow directly out of this book.
0: Yeah, I, they don't grow directly, but they... Uh, there's a line of inquiry that I found would be interesting to pursue, let's say uh, because I had to deal with such a massive amount of data in this research. I used some digital humanities tools for visualization and I used network analysis tools for this and also I was uh, at some point I was a digital scholarship Hub coordinator at McGill Library so. That knowledge that I acquired during this research and uh, through my work um, made me realize that there was a lot written about Bernie and her life, but nobody actually looked at her social network using digital humanities methods. And that's the project that I already started and I hope to pursue, um, is to look at her social networks during her court time during uh during those 5 years and i started and it's quite interesting it's it's it allows a different angle uh that we, uh, how we could see her life and the life of the court at the time even though there's a lot written but i feel there's a lot still to uncover huh. and then as i mentioned this this work it just made me realize that how much is still to look at and to uncover and discover uh, in the illustration history of the books. And I would like to look into illustration history of other uh, novels by female authors uh, and specific look at the fashion and illustrations and, and how, because I'd compare in the book, let's say, Jane Austen novels, they had the same. You, you see those Gigo sleeves instead of chemise dresses of, of her uh, first editions. And so that's something that I would like to pursue. And another thing that I noticed, you, you know, in early books, we often find Advertisements. We find publisher catalogs in yellow bags. There are some advertisements for consumer goods. And it made me think about the language of advertisements and maybe look at not necessarily as they found in books, but also in uh in newspapers and journals, and look at the and how the language of advertisement uh, reflects itself in our consumer culture and what it reveals about our society at the time. So wow, the- that's
1: a, an exciting set of directions to pursue. Me Um And I'm especially fascinated by that network analysis. I feel like um, that's not something I've seen before in this kind of um, research space and I think it all
0: there's a really uh, interesting project of, of Francis Bacon uh, um, sort of network. So, but, but yeah. it's it's time-consuming. It's huge. There, yeah. They have Mellon Foundation grant, I believe. Mm. It just, it's, it, it's a huge team working on that. Uh, well, I don't know where it would go, this project, but I do want to see the social, her social networks and the social networks and also use the other authors that would describe the court life at the same time to actually try to reproduce the court network at the time and see how because it was quite quite a uh, challenging time in court history. The king went mad and he stopped being mad and <laughs> lots of things were happening.
1: Yeah wow and I guess you'll get to go back and, and spend a lot of time with her diaries. Um oh, which yeah. sounds
0: fun. <laughs> they they are they are absolutely fun. There is actually in there is a novel uh Spinster's Diaries uh that it, a young woman the name of the author escapes me uh she reads Bruni diaries when she's getting diagnosed with brain tumor and how she relates to what's happening in her diaries and her, and her own life it's quite oh. it's, so this is such a uh, that that's the first entrance of Bruni into modern popular culture
1: that's fascinating wow okay i'll have to I'll have to look that up um well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, once again, my guest today is Svetlana Kochkina, author of Francis Burney's Evelina, the book, its history, and its paratext, published by Palgrave Macmillan in 2023. My name is Jen Hoyer, and you're listening to the Library Science Channel of New Books Network.